Not good English, but it's good words. <laughs> God is good. Brother Bud Hicks used to say that all the time. Ain't God good? And he's got it right. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We'll start off with our opening verse again, 12th chapter. This is the Apostle Paul being made aware that he has a personal enemy. He had received from Revelations. Wasn't sure whether he's in the body or out of the body. But he decided that he was going to glory in his infirmities. But beginning at the seventh verse, unless I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And he describes that that was the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. In other words, he was saying, It's all right, Lord, if that's what it's for and that's what I need, why you just let it happen. We have been trying to unmask the devil or expose him because he works so many shrewd ways and he is so cunning and so slick and Certainly, he, we're not a match for him outside of God in our life. And we hear a lot about what we do to the devil, but we don't say much about what he does to us. And a lot of that is simply because he does it so shrewd and so subtle that he gets by with it and we don't even know that he has influenced our lives. Now, he don't come up and say, I'm the devil and this is what you're going to do. He just influences our life. He gets in our thought pattern. And uh, you have to understand that as long as you've got a personal Savior, which is Jesus Christ, and he dispasses angels to take care of you and influence your thought pattern in your life, you also have a personal devil or a personal demon that's assigned directly to you to expose every weakness that you might have. And once we catch on to him then we can have victory. Now, you can't have salvation without Jesus, and you can't have full victory without the devil. How many of you know that? You can't have victory over an enemy that you don't have. And so uh, the devil is allowed, and we've asked a lot, of, a lot of times, people ask us, why didn't God just destroy the devil whenever he cast him out? Why didn't he just cast him in the bottomless pit where he's going to end up at? And God was shrewd enough to, to use his fall to test and try his people. He still does that. Yes, does. The enemy. Salvation requires a personal Savior, and without Jesus Christ there is no salvation. But to be victorious, we've got to understand that we have a personal enemy. And in order to do that, we're going to have to concentrate on the two beings of the two natures in us. Now, just because we got the Holy Ghost and God filled us, and put on the divine nature was no sign the old nature was dead. The Bible tells us to reckon ourselves to be dead. In other words, we have to bring it under subjection. So we have to understand that there's two natures 
striving for our obedience all the time. Not just one minute at a time, but all the time. And present with us and in us, if so be we have the Holy Spirit of God, is God's divine nature. That's the nature that fights against the Adamic nature, which is actually Satan's nature. Humanity took on the nature of Satan when Adam fell. And so we have a, that enemy always fighting against. And God seeing that, and knowing that we had no power at all to resist the fleshly notions and desires and Adam's nature, gave us his presence. The only divine thing about us is the Holy Ghost inside of us. We ought to desire that and we ought to thank God for it every day because that's the nature that wars against the fleshly or Adamic nature. And both of those natures are giving you personal attention. You're getting personal attention every day. Personal attention every hour of every day. And both are possessed, whether you want to understand it or not, with powers of the spirit world. The devil understands the spirit world. He has been in the presence of God and he was a spirit being he still is and both are possessed with a, a spirit from the spirit world and both are ready to possess whatever dominion in your life you will permit them to reign over in other words you have a free will and you have to use that free will all the time you got to choose all the time who is going to lead you is it going to be the Holy Spirit of God in you or is it going to be what we say, fleshly nature? We say it so often, that's my nature and I can't help it. Well, if you didn't have God, you couldn't. But that's why God gave you the Spirit and we cannot. That won't work for God. I mean, he's, he loves us pretty much, but we can't just simply say that's my nature. Because we're supposed to have power over that nature. And we are responsible for with Spirit exercises the most influence over our thoughts and our actions and we are responsible for what is happening to us and what is happening in us and if we're honest now a lot of people feel like that they're overcomers and that they don't have anything to overcome the devil about we just simply got it made all the time and if I'm talking to somebody out there that thinks that then these messages are not for you these messages for individuals that know that we fail know that we are fallen creatures, know that sometimes the devil, the power of devil exercises his thoughts against us in our mind and we are fully assured that there's times when we just fail the Lord. And even though we don't want to, we're aware that we do. And if we're honest with ourselves, and we have to be, we'll have to agree that we are no near deep and uh, what would you say, close to God than we ought to be. The maturity for the length of time that we have known him is simply not there. And we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to say, God, there's times when I failed you and I should have been more grown up than I am. I should recognize the enemy when he comes in more often than I do. And without realizing that, our personal adversary, the devil, directs our lives at times and we think that perhaps it's us or perhaps it's God but his subtle wisdom his ingenious devices makes us an easy target for him and if you think nobody can do this then you're wrong the devil can do it and he does do it far too often to Christian people how does he do this 
He can get you to waste one day after another with putting off your prayer life, putting off your Bible reading. Don't tell me that you don't do that because we do. And that's the subtle influence of the enemy that says you, you don't have time to do this or you can do this some other time. And uh, what is the old adage? Don't put off today what you can do tomorrow. And the enemy tries to get us to put off, and he can make us weary, Sister Gail, and he can make us tired, and he can make us, actually, he can make us lazy. I didn't say you're lazy now. Come on. I didn't say that. I just said he could make us weary, and he can make us cranky, and he can make us crabby, and all of that. And guess who's doing that? That's not God. That's not the sweet presence of God and the sweet individual that we ought to be in God, the Holy Spirit. And he can make us do just little menial things, you know, uh, like uh, maybe keep our mind busy. And then we get our mind absorbed in unnecessary things and uh, reading everything but the Word of God. Okay, reading everything but the Word of God. And, and then uh, we got time for a little gossip. But if we'd fill our minds, if we'd get our minds off of some of the things that happen on television, some of the ha things that happen maybe on the radio and all of that, but he can cause us to forget Jesus. Sometimes we go through the day forgetting Jesus. Even if we forget him for one hour, that's too much. Now, I, I want you to notice what he can actually do and what he does to a lot of individuals, he can cause you to walk contrary to and even cause you to rebel against God's word. He can cause you to think it's perfectly all right if you do that. Now, I want to give you some examples. Maybe that hits every one of us, but it's the word of God and it comes from the writings of the Apostle Paul and he is telling us and warning us in Hebrews 10:25. You all should know that. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And yet there's something frames in the heart of man to feel like it's really not necessary for us to do that. Even the few services that we have, which is not as many as we ought to have, we don't find perfect attendance as we ought to have in our services. Now, who is the fault for that? Actually, we tell ourselves it's really not necessary. If I go to church once a day, what does the Bible say? What does Paul say? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, and some was already doing it. And he was trying to tell them, be exhorting one another, and so much more. In other words, he was trying to say, in the midst of a cold, dark, clammy world, where everybody is against you, you need one another and you're going to need one another more than you've ever needed it at the end of time. And yet we find individuals following after their own devices, making their own excuses and God only knows what kind of excuses I've heard, I think almost all of them. But the devil is trying to make you think and he's that cunning that that's really not necessary. Nothing's going to happen there anyway. But you don't know what the Word of God is going to speak to you. And you come and you get strengthened against the enemy that is going to attack your life maybe the very next day. And you have come and you have been victorious enough to come and sit under the Word of God and under the songs of Zion and so on. 
And then Paul talks to the Ephesians. And this is what he says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now that's the word of God. And yet we still harbor those feelings. And we think it's all right because you don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they done to me. You don't know how they acted to me. And yet the word of God simply says, let all bitterness. Didn't say you wouldn't get bitter. It just said, let all bitterness and wrath. Didn't say you wouldn't get angry and clamor and evil speaking. He didn't say you wouldn't, but said, you let those things be put away from you with all malice. And then he says, be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And this is the word of God, and he can cause us to walk contrary to that and even rebel against God's word and think it's all right. Now, if God says it, God means it. Amen? If it's in the word of God, then it is for us. And if we're not being obedient to that, guess who is influencing our life? Guess which dog we're feeding, the white dog or the black dog? Which one's getting the fattest? And we need to understand that. Which one's getting the fattest? And also it can cause you to think that things are not really written for you or this is not for this day. This whole Bible was written for us. How many know that? And whatever is left to be fulfilled is for this day. All right. Now he can and does plant thoughts in your mind. Some of them are unclean thoughts. And you think that's all right because after all I'm human. But it's not all right. You can have those thoughts, but we'll get to later on what you're supposed to do with it. And then sometimes jokes that are degrading and demeaning and the usage of God's name and playing with his talents and playing with his character and all of that. And maybe we don't use profanity, but sometimes we do things more damaging in mockery and so on like that. Not taking and understanding God's name is a sacred name. It's a beautiful name. When you say the name of Jesus, don't say it in anger and don't say it with malice and don't use God's name in mockery. And then there's videos and televisions uh, that comes along and uh, using God's name in vain and nudity of male and female. Let me ask you a question. Some of this junk we watch on television, daytime television, nighttime television, where they're running and getting in bed with one another and running around on one another's wives and all of that. And we sit and absorb that. If we're not careful, we absorb that. Now let me ask you a question. With these things, sometimes that we watch on television or sometimes even rent videos and so on. When those things, would you invite those individuals in your house and allow them to do the things in your house like they do on television? Could you answer me? Then why in God's name do we allow that garbage to come in and fill our homes and fill our minds? We're simply saying, really, it's all right in the privacy of your own home what happens. And it's not all right. Guess who is responsible for that? God is not. You know that as well as I do. And sometimes you think it's your idea, but it is Satan that puts your thoughts in your mind. And many times by our actions, we say far more by our actions than we say with our mouth. And we ingest this garbage of the world 
far more than we realize it, and sometimes that's carried on into the church. The thinkings uh, that uh, we see and the things that we hear is carried on in the church, and Satan can cause you to be idle, think you're making progress. He can cause your mind to just be at rest. You can read until your senses are dulled and things you're reading is not worth uh, anything that you're reading. And sometimes you can even, and let me say this with all of the sincerity that I can say it in my mind, sometimes the garbage that they call gospel on the television is not good for you to watch. It causes confusion more than it causes anything else. And for the most part, these people are not concerned about your life. They're concerned about your money. They don't know your needs. And sometimes, and I don't know what we do around here, but sometimes individuals will send them sometimes their tithes and offerings, and they could care less about you. They don't know your needs. And sometimes you'll give that to them and instead of dropping it in for the missionaries or maybe for your pastor and your pastors and your teachers know you and love you and are always there to birth your babies for you and burp you when you need, need burping and, and bear your dead for you and pray for you and feel for you inside just like a pastor ought to or teachers ought to do. So we need to be concerned about what causes us to get these I've had an individual talk to me and said, I watch church all day and I get so confused. Well, I wonder why that is. Nobody, nobody presents the gospel perhaps the same way. And if you're listening to somebody that don't know you and don't care for you, you're doing the wrong thing, all right? What you can glean out of that, that'll be fine, but don't let it depress your mind. And sometimes, even when we're witnessing, now a lot of business, Businesses are teaching their employees on how to manipulate the average American into thinking and doing things their way called subliminal advertising. And this suspecting individual is saying to themselves, hey, that's my idea. And they place this. You watch it over and over. And the first thing you know, they'll tell you, you want it, you want it, you want it, you want it. And the first thing you know, you do want it. Now, something is happening there. And... The tool of Satan. You see, he takes these things and it's coming into the church, into the Christmas riot, Christian writings. In other words, the average Christian is no match for the devil or his wiles. I want to say that over and over and over again. I don't care how much you feel like you're smart enough, you're not smart enough to do it, all right? You're not smart enough to do it without Christ. An average Christian doesn't dream. And his life is being influenced by Satan. The average Christian doesn't suspect that the power of Satan has and is exercising over them. Any time that we do anything contrary to God's word, Satan is influencing us. Any time we don't do some of the things God tells you to do, Satan is influencing us and telling us it doesn't matter. He suggests it, and then he makes us think, we thought it up all by ourselves. He can just give us a nudge, kind of like he did Eve. And we may laugh at Eve. We might make snide remarks about her fall, but we have to look at ourselves and say, are we any better? Adam gave up without a fight. Didn't even have a defensive word. He just listened to what Eve had to say. And sometimes we are as guilty as Adam and Eve because he just nudges us a little bit. And if we look at it, and we have to be honest in this, most of us can look back a year or more of our life and we can see very little change in our growth pattern. You see, he knows perhaps maybe he can't take salvation away from you, 
but he can keep you from growing. And when he can do that, then somebody's life, maybe that you could have helped, you can't help. You see, after years with a still the same person, still troubled by the same adversary, still have the same uh, outlook on life, still have the same attitude, our personality's not any sweeter than it ever was, and we're supposed to grow in that. We're not any more compassionate than we've ever been, and we're not any more loving or any more long-suffering. And these are growth patterns for children of God. We wonder sometimes why our church is empty. What are we offering them? Truthfully, saints, what are we offering them? They can see our lives. They can see our failures. And even with our desire, we have to desire to get a little closer to God. I mean, we have to admit we are not getting the job done. I don't know if that bothers you or not, but it bothers me to see that the church is not getting the job done. Now, something is hindering us. Sometimes our talents are not even utilized. Singing, playing a musical instrument, teaching a class, decorating the church, cleaning the church, youth leader, adult leader, visiting the sick, cooking, cooking for somebody in need. There's always something somebody can do for God. Sometimes, and I don't know about here, our pocketbooks are just a seal unless it's our pet project. Tithes are given when we think we want to give them or when we think we ought to give them. We miss church four or five weeks at a time, then we don't pay God. You owe God your tithes whether you don't come to church but once a year or not. You owe Him your tithes. It belongs. It's not yours. It's His. And it is danger for us to spend God's money. How many of you know that? I mean, you've got enough of your own. And no wonder. And missionaries, missionaries need to eat. Dress. They need to have transportation to places of ministry, just like we do in our place of worship and in our work and so on like that. And sometimes missionaries suffer. Let me give you a little tidbit that has worked in every place I have ever been. You get a good missionary program. You get individuals given to the missions. And you're going to see without a shadow of a doubt, after a while, you're going to see your church grow. It happens every time. You need a good, strong missionary program. And that's not coming from your tithes or your offering to the church. That is outside of that because you're suffering. The Bible says the gospel must be preached to all the world and then shall the end come. You can't go over there, but you can help those that are over there be what they ought to be. They're under a load. You think we've got problems. They've got problems twofold of what we have or maybe tenfold of what we have. And ours is bad enough. So a good, solid missionary program, guess who keeps you from having that? How many of you know? Can you talk to me? How many of you know what keeps you from having that? Simply because we listen to Adam's nature and we listen to satanic forces we listen to that little demon that says, but you can't afford that and you know you can't. You can't afford not to. Can I get that again? You can't afford not to. If you actually care about the world around you, if you actually care about people out here, year after year without change to convert a person, how many of you ever asked yourself, what change can I make in my life that would bring this individual to God? Have you ever thought about it that way? And if we actually do that, instead of saying, I wonder why that person doesn't come to God. 
You know God is moving in their life, but let's turn the tables. What change can I make? What things in my life can I not do or can I do in order to convert somebody or get them to Almighty God or even get them to the house of God? You see, we need to be changed. And in order to do that, we need to understand that we need to capture or convert our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our mindsets to be more like Jesus and less and less on carnality. Hearts need to be extended to heaven to receive strength and then come down and pick up a weary, sin-sick soul and place him on the solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. While our hands are lifted to heaven... And God grasp our hand. One needs to be reaching down and grasping somebody else's hand and bringing them into the kingdom of God. Now the part that bothers me in my life, and I don't know about your life, is sometimes we get so entwined with our own thinking, with our own life. I've got this happening to me, and I've got burdens, and I've got, I've got uh, sickness, and I've got this or that or something else, and this will pull us down and keep our mind from reaching up. We need to reach upward before we can reach outward. How many of you know that? Yes. Have to reach up and get a hold of God and then reach out. Now Proverbs says some very important things. For as he thinketh in his heart. Proverbs 23 and 7. So is he. That's where a thought pattern comes in at. Now that heart is from the Greek word pneuma, which is heart. It's translated heart, and it's translated spirit, it's translated mind. But it's the seat of remembrance, it's understanding, and it's reasoning. And it's not the muscular organ made up of ventricles and atriums and valves and veins and arteries, but it's the understanding. It's the mind. With a man's mind, and you have him as your slave, you become his master. In other words, if Satan can win your mind then he's your master at least for that moment. And if God can win your mind, then he's your master at least for that moment. But God needs to be our master all the time. You capture an individual's thoughts and you control him. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times when I know that I've been controlled by the wrong spirit. I don't like it, but when I become aware of it, I can do something about it. But if I'm not aware of it, I just cast it off. It's just one of those bad hair days that I have. Don't have much hair, but I do have bad hair days sometimes. And it's just one of those bad hair days that I have, but it's not. And we need to understand that it's an influence from my personal little demon or demons, however many it takes, uh, to, uh, doesn't take much with host clone nature to uh, get you to react in stubbornness and all that. I'm sure most of you already know that, don't you? You've had your pastor here a long time. You haven't had me. You haven't dealt with that. Ahem. <laughs> <clears throat> How about you, Brother Lee? You dealt with that much? Um, don't you want know to eat breakfast in the morning? Don't. All right. Are you awake, Gail? All right. Just wanted to be sure. That's why Paul never, wherever he was at, he never considered himself a prisoner under any circumstances except the Lord Jesus Christ. Men can imprison his body and beat him, and they can keep him in the dungeons, but his mind still belonged to God. In other words, Paul by his life is telling us whatever they've said and done and all the problem and trouble that we have in our life, in our body, regardless of what it is, our mind ought to still belong to God. That's why the Apostle Paul had such a testimony. And if you can get your ideas 
inside of another so that he thinks like you do, you gain that man. The communists were good at brainwashing their prisoners, spreading propaganda. Now all you've got to do is check out the news media today. They'll give you what they want you to hear in the direction they want you to go. And if they, you can, if they can get your thoughts, well, then they've gained you in, on their side. And Satan wants men's minds. Now, the Apostle Paul knew this, and he was afraid of this. Christian individuals he was writing to in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, and this is what he said, but I fear. In other words, he said, I'm afraid lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, through his cunningness, so your mind should be corrupted or put to final ruin, is what the word actually means, from the simplicity that is in Christ. So all Satan has to do is reach our minds. You ever wonder why your mind, and I watched some of them do that already, have you ever wondered why your mind wonders even in the presence of God in even a wonderful service? And you didn't like it, did you? And yet what you need to do is catch the devil right in the act. And rebuke him in the name of Jesus. You have that power. Don't just say it. Realize you have that power and rebuke him. Amen. Don't just go off and say, well, that's just one of those things. You don't have to take it. You have the Holy Ghost, the divine nature of God in your life. And if we ever knew how to use the name of Jesus, it's time, my friend, we understand how to use it. He didn't just give us that name just to call it, us to call ourselves by that. Ever wonder why your mind wonders? Well, it's a result of an undisciplined mind. I've said this before, and I've made this comparison before. I ministered this. First time God gave it to me was some years ago, and it, it, was, it was just, I don't know, probably six months of listening and getting revelation from God and writing it down and marking it out and writing it down again to be sure that I was listening to God in the right way. It's not something I just happened to say I want to write about. It's something that I knew in that particular church and others also that I knew we was battling against and coming in with individual saints of God that were just fresh from out of the world could not understand as much as they were filled with the Spirit, could not understand why they were so subject so many times to their flesh. And they didn't like it, and they're not like a lot of us who have become so settled in it that it really doesn't matter. We just go ahead and do it. They didn't like it, and they wanted to know what to do about it. And, of course, that was up to me to see that. And I compared the mind, and I don't know how much longer I'll go on with this, but it probably could take six months if I wanted to use that. But comparing the mind of, God, of, a, of a child of God to an undisciplined mind, you can't come into the house of God you can't come into the house of God having your mind running rampant on everything else in this world and then come into the house of God and expect it to sit there and be entertained by solid word of God or even by singing. Amen. It's not going to happen. Even as a pastor, as a minister prepares his message, so should a saint of God prepare their mind to hear the message. In other words, take some time before you come into the house of God and get your mind settled. If you have to do it on the way to church, get your mind settled and get it ready to receive from the Word of God. 
See, most undisciplined mind, if you've got an undisciplined child, if you've got, just watch a child that's undisciplined, and they're destructive to themselves, and destructive with people around them. They speak out in inappropriate times, and roam at will, and jump on furniture, and climb to dangerous areas, and don't have any respect for people's property, and constantly getting into trouble, have no discipline for the rights of others. And that is the way an undisciplined child of God is. And God does not like that. We must control every thought that goes through our mind. Otherwise, we're going to speak things that are not of God. All right? We fail to listen to sound instructions. And a warning could come to us with our mind roaming someplace at will. And we could fail to hear what God has to say to us. And we fail to retain it. We jump to conclusions before we hear facts. Center on the conversation of the message. We climb out on a limb sometimes. We make statements and comments that are erroneous and hurtful because we don't pay attention and because we get the wrong message. And that's all from an undisciplined mind. Control every thought that goes through our mind. Check them. Arrest them. Take them into captivity in the name of Jesus. Rebuke them. Cast them out in Jesus' name from your mind and from your thought life. Oh, it's too hard, you say. Listen, just as God is our personal ally, so is Satan our personal accuser and enemy. Even as God, now listen to me here, even as God sees and knows our thoughts, Hebrews 4.13, mark it down, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to him with whom we have to do. In other words, God sees, knows, and understands your thought life. Now that's great, isn't it? We like that. But we also have a personal enemy that has that same privilege. Whether you know it or whether you don't. Matthew thirteen nineteen and there are others says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands or doesn't uh, understands it not or doesn't consider it or doesn't consider it well, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which is sown in his heart or Dianonos which is his mind. In other words, Let's look at these amazing feats of the enemy. He has to be present to see the inner workings of your mind. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows if there's a chance for him to inject his thoughts. He knows whether you're on the verge of receiving it or rejecting it. Okay? He does this tonight. He'll do that tomorrow, whatever your mind is. The thought pattern is laid open for his inspection. He can look it and he can view it. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's so. Because if he can see inside there, he has the power to take away the word of God from you. I think our pastor just mentioned that uh, when a uh, message is preached and then you go out and the next uh, hour or so, or even when you go out the door, you don't even know what was said. Why is that? Because the enemy saw your thought life, saw your pattern, saw your undisciplined mind, saw you on the verge of, of not hearing that, and he takes that beautiful, precious word of God that would substantiate your life the next day, and he takes it away from you. And not only does he do that, he introduces his own ideas in your mind. Yes, he does. Amen. Tell me he's a weak devil. Tell me that you can just walk on him anytime you get ready. Well, you can if you know where he's at. And if you know what he's doing. And if you're aware that he sees your mind. If you want to be victorious, saints, victorious through the walks and ways of Almighty God. There's no other way than to walk in the Spirit of God. That's right. Amen. 
And we have that spirit. It's not something that we have to get if you have already received it. The center of our warfare is our mind. And you have to be watchful of, our, of your mind. Second Corinthians 10, 4, 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay? But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. How many of you know imagination is a terrible thing if it's in the mind of the enemy? You can just imagine so-and-so is talking about you, so-and-so don't like you, so-and-so uh, is against you and all of that. Casting down imaginations. What difference does it make? Don't let it bother you. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The greatest, highest thing in this world is the mind that God gave to individuals. And if Satan can contaminate your mind, and if Satan can take it and cause it to be wavered and undisciplined, then he'll keep you from growing. And you'll make the same mistakes day in and day out, over and over, if you've been a Christian 50 years, and make the same mistakes you haven't had a growth pattern in your life. You haven't been victorious. You've got salvation, but you need to be an overcomer. How many of you agree with that? You need to be an overcomer. Yes. Now, thinking is a contest. Let's go over that again. Try keeping your mind on Jesus interrupted for just five minutes. Now, you try that when you get home. And you will find that there is a warfare that exists. If you ever, ever understand there is a warfare between satanic nature and the nature of Jesus Christ, try thinking on Jesus. And he will interrupt your thoughts if he can all the time. And he will until our mind becomes truly dedicated to God. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He let us know that our fight was not against flesh and blood. Maybe it's not against one another. But our fight is against principalities, organized powers of the enemy. That has been organized under the powers of Satan. And he's organized his demons. He has high, high callings and he has lows. And each one of them uh, under his auspices and power. And he says, we wrestle not against that, but we wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against power. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I said, no, higher than the mind, which is the image of God. And we as Christian people wrestle against that all the time. I have to ask us a question, who's the winner? Who wins most of the time? Oh, you said, I think on God. Yes, you do. But has the enemy actually, again, try when you get home. That'd be a good experience for you. When you get home, try to bring every thought to the obedience of God. And you'll see that's a military campaign. That's not just a spat you're having, but it's a military campaign. There's a war there. Simply because... If the devil can get your mind, he's got you. If God can get your mind, he's got you. And when we fight that war, saints, let's be sure that we know without a shadow of a doubt we do not fight it on our own. We have to call in reinforcements. We have to call in the power of God that resides within us. We have to utilize that divine nature which is influenced by the power of the Holy Ghost in our life. And we have to say, God, I'm out of my league here. 
I'm out of my league. I'm no match for him. I, 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 I know what he's doing, but I can't do anything about it. He's stronger than I am, more subtle than I am, slicker than I am, and I don't really don't know how to handle it. God reinforcements. Divine nature, Holy Ghost, come and answer for me. Thank God. Come and answer for me and come and fight for me. Now the Apostle Paul warned also of the possibility of becoming weary. Hebrews 12.3 For consider him, that's Jesus, that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied in your mind and faint. One translation says and tell you, and let wearied in your mind and faint or you relax and be cut off guard by Satan's evil suggestions that you fall into a trap of obeying. If Satan can keep your mind on, our, on carnal things, our mind is useless to the Holy Ghost. If Lucifer, which is the devil, can introduce ideas and mental wonderings, then the mind belongs to him. That's no wonder Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary or your accuser, the devil, as a roaring lion, as one translation puts it, as a vicious rumor spreader, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he certainly wants to destroy you. Can I say that again? He certainly wants to destroy you, but if he couldn't destroy you, he would agitate you anyway. He would keep you from becoming victorious over the enemy. He would keep you from growing. You can't relax. You see, when you come to God, I had new Christians saying, well, I come to God and things are worse now than they was before I came to Him. You ever wonder why that was? You didn't have any battle going on there. I mean, you didn't have a nature that was any different at all. You just did what it said and you just uh, went along with it. But then when you come to God... The battle with God, you're fighting against him. It was over, but the fight with the devil has just begun. And we have been provided armor for that. Our God says, put on the whole armor of God, and that's yeah. use all of it, daily, hourly, and sometimes by the minute. Now, here's the difference between the two natures. Fleshly nature is adultery. I don't do adultery. Fornication, how about stepping out on God? uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immolations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And this nature is ne never satisfied. You can appease old fleshly nature, give it what it wants, and immediately it will reach out for something else. Okay? It's never satisfied. It's always restless. And you need to study these words and see the depth in them. Now, the divine nature is opposite to that. A spiritual mind is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and temperance and goodness and faith. And this nature is restful. Now, if you're restless, guess whose nature is nudging at you? If you're wearied, guess whose nature is nudging at you? But if you're at peace, Oh, you don't have to look around and say the world is in terrible shape and I'm just going to cuddle up next to God. No, sir. You need to pray. But while you're praying, there is such a restful peace inside of you to know that we are under the leadership of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
and to know that God is going to take care of us. And the mind remembers, the mind understands, the mind reasons and it judges. And no wonder Paul said in Philippians, I believe it is, second chapter I think if it serves me right, where he simply says, let this mind, now you have to let it, understand that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You have to allow the Holy Ghost, the mind of Christ, you have to allow it, its presence, and its working. And God wants us to be overcomers. I want to read you some promises that are made only to the overcomers. I'm sure you must, re must know them. But I want to reiterate them to you in Revelations, the first chapter, or second chapter, I believe it is. 2, 7, 17, and 26. And he's talking to the church, churches of Asia. And to the church of Ephesus, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh, not to him that necessarily pled the blood of Jesus Christ. But these are for overcomers. These are the things you take into the kingdom of God with you, which demands where you are in the kingdom of God. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the garden. Smyrna. He that hath his ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Overcoming. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He that overcometh will I give thee to the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and a stone with a new name written, that no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. 26. He that overcometh and, knoweth my, and keepeth my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule, hallelujah, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. I will give him the morning star. Morning star is Jesus, ruler, king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Maybe that's not all of them. But how do we overcome? Question there. Revelation 12, 11 says it, and we'll be closing. And they overcame him, who? Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. Takes the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the word of their testimony, what they had to say, how they had to say it, what spirit they were subject to, and they loved not their lives unto death. Many of them. Pick up a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs and read if you can. Don't try to read it all at once. But you'll find the struggle. The individuals and the price they had to pay to be overcomers. And the price they had to pay to know God's ways different from the ways of the enemy. Now after the destruction of the beast powers. And they are going to be destroyed. Who remains? Revelations tells us that too. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they which keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. After everything else has fallen, after the enemy has been taken captive by the power of God, and after the church has been the church triumphant, and after everything else has fallen, there remains those who have been patient, those that have discerned what spirit do I want to follow, what is in my mind? Which spirit is activating in my mind? Am I really the child of God that God wants out of me? 
You're the only one that can answer that. I cannot. But I can only answer some of the things that was brought to light in my own life, continues to be brought to life in my own life, is that I am subject too many times to be led by the flesh, which is the fallen Adamic nature, which is influenced by the enemy. Now, if I say I'm not, I can never become an overcomer. I can't be victorious. But if I say and I acknowledge, and if you will do the same thing, you know your life better than anybody else. But if you will acknowledge, I don't like what I am. I don't like the enemy when he tricks me. I want to know his ways a little bit better. I want to know whenever he says something, I want to take it to heart. I want to believe it's for me. I want to apply it to my life. If I don't, Satan can come and rob me of being a victorious Christian. We're living in the last days. The Apostle Paul, when he said, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, and even the more so as you see the day approaching new, that children of God needed one another then, and they need one another now, and we're going to need one another more as we see the day approaching. And that is just, whether you want to take it or not, that is just a deliberate rebellion against God's Word. And if we harbor those bitterness and envy and malice and strife and not forgive one another, it's deliberate rebellion against God's Word. And guess who is the instigator of that? Guess who causes that type of attitude? Friend, if we could just admit we're just not as far along as maybe we thought we was and understand that we've got a big battle to win and God is wanting us perfect or mature. And we're not going to be mature until we become, everybody say it, overcomers. Say it again, overcomers. How do we do that? By the power of the Holy Ghost that resides within us and the name of Jesus Christ, a name that's powerful above all names. Stand with me just a moment.